And I trust that you do. If you can open with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So beginning last week and all the way up until the end of the year, we're going to be in this passage, Luke 2, 8 through 14. Um, until then, so you know where to go. And welcome to week 2 of our Messengers series that has us walking through the message that the angel gave to the shepherd that first Christmas night. And think about this, other than the Holy Spirit, so other than the third person of the Trinity, angels are the most pivotal players in the drama that we know as the Christmas story. You may not have realized this, but the primary um, information that we have concerning the significance of Jesus' birth comes from angels. And and before we dive in today, I want to kind of give us a little angel theology. This is not exhaustive theology, this is more like corrective theology, because in our culture, Um, We mess up our theology about angels a whole lot, and we get it wrong. So I just want to help you today to get it right. So um, five truths about angels just from the beginning. Number one, angels are real, and they have been created by God. So angels are real, and they're created beings. They're creatures of God. Secondly, as we've looked um, at last week, angels are not chubby babies sitting on clouds playing Harps, that is not the picture that the Bible gives. The biblical picture, angels are more like Poseidon than they are precious moments. So just go home, Google Poseidon, and that will give you a clear picture of kind of the the, um, intimidating factor of angels as opposed to our view of little precious moments, kids, and babies. Um, Number three, and this is a big one, when we die, we do not become angels. We do not become angels. Please hear this. Christians do not receive angels' wings when we get to heaven. I hear that so much at funerals. Um, In in that setting, I choose not to correct bad theology, but that is bad theology. That, that That gives us no hope whatsoever. Think about this hope. Think about trying to give somebody hope by saying, Our infinite wise God, in His infinite wisdom, somehow ran out of angels. Therefore, He took your loved one from you because in His um, foresight, He ran out of angels and He wanted your loved one. Does that give you hope anywhere whatsoever? No, the picture is, no, we are not angels. We are, um, have been created in the image of God, and God's Son has come for us. Um, number four, angels protect the glory of God, and angels live to worship God. That is what they do. They worship God. The Bible tells us about seraphims. Um, they're called burning ones. They're angels that literally are burning but not consumed in the presence of a holy God. And then five, the ultimate job of angels, according to Hebrews 1, 14, is to be ministering spirits. And the ultimate way that they minister to us, get this, is through being messengers. They're messengers. In fact, the whole Greek word for um, angel means message or messengers. And so although, think about this, although the shepherds are first confronted by one angel, The reason we are calling this whole series messengers is not only because shortly after a whole army or a whole whole host of angels joined the announcement, we're calling this whole series messengers because God also intends for us, for you and for me as children of God, to join in the proclamation. Meaning we are intended as children of God to become messengers of this story. And so I pray that we would join in today, jump into that, and just think about what we covered last week and kind of where we're going. So we're looking at six different phrases in verses 8 through 11. Last week, we looked at the phrase, fear not. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen um, to it so that you can have a, a fresh foundation of our series of where we're going. But also, it's a very 
helpful sermon um, for many of us in our times of fear. Today we're looking at the message of, or the phrase, good news. Next week it'll be great joy, um, following by for all people, regardless of where you find yourself. On Christmas Eve, we're going to unpack a Savior, and then the last Sunday of this year, we're going to look at Christ the Lord. And so this morning, we come to the phrase, good news, um, or the word gospel. So the gospel means good news, and the good news or gospel has been used, I, I think, so commonly for so long that we often in, in the church, we miss the true significance of its meaning. I want to tell you, first of all, what the gospel or the good news is not. So the the gospel or the good news is not a religious institution or it's not a religious system to be practiced. It's not a bunch of information to be digested and regurgitated. um, And it's not what we have to do to achieve happiness or eternal life. The gospel is not something that we can buy, we can earn, or we can deserve. Period. And just think about the gospel now in the form of Christmas. So think about gospel, good news, and Christmas. You don't have to work for Christmas. You don't have to earn Christmas. I know some of you parents are going, oh, yeah, I do. You should see my bank account. I'm working and I'm earning uh, for Christmas, but I'm speaking in in the spiritual sense, not in the physical sense of what we give ourselves to. And the whole miracle of Christmas is that God is gracious, and in his graciousness, Christmas has come to us. God has sent Christmas to us. And hear this this morning. That's good news. Some of you need to tell your faces that. We have good news. We have good, we have great news. We have amazing news. The gospel is good news. Get this. The gospel is good news that God sent Jesus to undo what Adam undid. So let me say that again. The the gospel is good news that God sent Jesus to undo what Adam and Eve undid. And the gospel is not just simply above average news. It is the greatest news ever told. It meets people in the darkest of times and it provides hope. It meets people in the midst of their despair and it provides purpose. The gospel is the greatest news available and we should see it as such. And get this, we should share it. We should share this good news. And let me tell you the the news we often like to share. I was set up on Friday night in a terrible way. And before I tell the story, let me just kind of preface it by saying this is no indication whatsoever. Um, This has nothing to do with my belief or um, any theology whatsoever on drinking. So just so you know that, if you want to hear about what I believe, go back and listen to our sermon um, on um, water and wine that we did this past summer. I'll just say this. As a pastor with the ministry that God has given me, I choose um, not to drink and to stay away from it. So we are in, our family is in um, Winn-Dixie on Friday night. Um, We love um, drinking sparkling grape juice. So I grabbed two bottles because they were on sale. And we go up and uh, all this stuff is going on. The kids are bagging the groceries. And all of a sudden, the girl um, that's uh, ringing us up says, can I see your ID, sir? So I'm I'm like, okay. So I gave her the ID. And and I was like, "Hang hang on a second. Why do you need my ID? And she said, for your wine. And I said, no, 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 that's sparkling grape juice. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. And I was like, can I have my ID back? So anyway, she gave my ID back, and I paid. I kid you not, she hands me, hands me the sparkling grape juice in two big brown paper bags and gives them to me. And I'm like, like, and all of a sudden, a youth that I used to be a youth pastor to walks in and goes, hey, pastor. And I'm like, I'm being set up. Like, I am absolutely in this moment being set 
up. Like now I'm the wino um, of the Ocean Way um, community. I mean, it was like, what in the world is happening? And here's the thing. That's the kind of news we love to share, right? I mean, I can just imagine him going home going, you never guess who I saw. And I mean, that's the kind of news we love to share. We love sharing that kind of news. The problem is we don't always love sharing the greatest news ever. And we should love sharing that news. I think about J.C. Ryle. He said this, and speaking about those two words, good news, he said, we need not wonder at these words. So good news. The spiritual darkness which had covered the earth for 4,000 years was about to be rolled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be thrown open to all mankind. The head of Satan was about to be bruised. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. The mighty truth was about to be proclaimed that God could be just and yet for Christ's sake justify the ungodly. That is the good news message. That is what the angel was proclaiming. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to once again hear the words of this angel to these shepherds that first Christmas night and then to unpack what those two words, good news, means for us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word and reflect upon it and treat it for what it is and as it is. It is the word of God. So verse 8 says this, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together. Father, we come once again to this your word and to this amazing proclamation of the angel to the shepherds that first Christmas night. And we are looking at this phrase, good news. Oh, Father, today in our time together, we pray that we would understand just the whole nature of this good news. That we would understand that there is bad news that makes the good news so good. and That we would ponder even that bad news together. While at the same time asking Holy Spirit for you to do what you do. If there's any in this room that do not know you, oh, may you convict them and draw them to yourself. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the truth of your word. Speak, O God, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So think about this. The birth of Jesus is not the way we would have planned it. We think about that all the time. No person, however poor should ever have to be born in a stable without doctors or without a delivery room with hay on the floor with animals all around just think about the smell just think about that for a moment we often kind of overlook that one reality i think of when misty was in labor at baptist hospital she called me said my mom's taking me i think um, morgan's coming i go to the hospital as fast as i possibly can i get there i go up to her i said baby i'm here i grab her hand i kiss her on the forehead and she looked at me and she said Get away from me. Your cologne's making me sick. And I said, okay, I'll be over in the corner. If you need anything, just, just, just ask. It's going to be okay. And I just think about her senses in that moment um, saying that my cologne made her sick. Think about Mary being in a 
Being in a stable, surrounded by animal filth, giving birth in that way. This is no place for a royal birth, but God sees things differently. He chose a manger over a mansion. He chose a carpenter over a king. He designed a quiet coming over a worldwide celebration of his coming. And then think about this. Why would God, the creator of heaven and earth, send his son to be born in such a lowly place? And here's what I think. That Jesus, the only son of God, was born in a stable. So Jesus was born in a stable to give hope to us whose lives look and smell like one. Jesus was born in a stable to give hope to those of us whose lives look like a stable and smell like a stable. And maybe you're thinking, I don't look like a stable. I don't smell like one. I took a bath. I'm speaking of our spiritual lives. They are absolutely unkept. And oftentimes we stink. We stink. And think about this. We know how to make a mess of things. We know how to make a mess of things. Sometimes our actions stink. Though we try to make the best of things, we oftentimes make a mess of things. Can anyone relate to that? Okay, three of you. Okay. The rest of you, you've got it all together. We'll just wait, wait and we'll watch you. I mean, we try to make the best of things and we make a mess of things. Yet God knows and he has some amazing words for us from the mouth of an angel, which is, I bring you good news. The gospel is good news. And because it is good news, it's to be announced, it's to be proclaimed. Yet the gospel is also bad news to any who reject it. The baby in a manger comes to tell the worst news ever. And until we accept the worst news ever, we'll never see our need for the best news ever. And some of you here are thinking, Michael, what in the world are you talking about? Christmas is not about bad news. Christmas is about happiness and good news. And yet good news is only good news if there is bad news to preface preface it with. There are two parts of the Christmas story, good news and bad news, and we must accept both of them. You know, we enjoy focusing on the good part of Christmas, and it's a good thing to focus on the good part of Christmas. How, how amazing it is to ponder that God, God in the flesh, laid in that manger, that the creator of all things became created, that the one who uh, made the perfect world exposed himself to a world stained with imperfection, that the one who owned everything had no place to lay his head. Those are things worth pondering. Those are things that lead us to understand the greatness of our Savior. Yet, there is bad news to this Christmas story. The bad news is that there is a conflict between the way the Bible describes us and the way we would like to describe ourselves. Let me say that again. There is a conflict between the way the Bible describes us and how we would like to describe ourselves. We like to believe that our greatest, deepest, most lingering problems exist outside of us. Yet that is not what the Bible says. Our greatest problems, according to the Bible, is within us, meaning within our sinful heart. Did you know that your Bible says, and my Bible says, the heart, your heart, my heart, is deceitfully wicked? And it says, who can know it? Don't ever tell somebody, just, just trust your heart. Because the Bible says you can't trust your heart. The Bible says your heart is wicked and you cannot trust it. And that is our problem. Listen, you might think your problem is a bad relationship. You can get out of a bad relationship. You might think your problem is a bad job. You can quit a bad job. You might think your problem is a neighborhood you live in. You can eventually move out of that neighborhood. You might think your problem is the dysfunctional church that you, can, that you go to. You can leave that dysfunctional church. And there are many dysfunctional churches. 
But you have no ability whatsoever on your own, hear this, to escape yourself. You have no ability to escape yourself, and that is bad news. That is terrible news. So I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning focusing on the bad news and the good news of the Christmas story. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. And maybe you're, kind of the, you're the kind of person you'd rather hear the good news first and then the bad news. I'm a, I'd rather hear the bad news first and the good news better be better. So we're going to start with the bad news today because this good news is absolutely better. So the, the bad news are two truths today, bad news and good news. First is this, kind of simple. The bad news is devastatingly bad. The bad news is devastatingly bad. I don't know how to put it any plainer. But I want to ask you this morning to humble yourself, to open up your heart, maybe in the next few moments, to the bad news of the Christmas story. That God has invaded our world in the person of Jesus Christ because there was no other way. There was no other way. And why was there no other way? And that's the bad news. The bad news is that our biggest problem is not with our family, with our history, with our society. Our biggest problem is not politics or relationships or finances or even religion. Our biggest problem is that we are sinful to the very core of us and we cannot save ourselves. That is our greatest problem. If you had none of those other problems in your life, you would still be um, focused on or you would still um, be confined with the greatest problem in your life that you cannot get over. Therefore, our greatest need um, summoned Jesus Christ and his radical intervention into our greatest need. On our own, think about this, on our own, left to ourselves. Let me tell you how the Bible describes us. So on our own, left to ourselves, here's what the Bible says. Romans 3, 10 through 12 and verse 23, it says this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Hear this, all have turned aside, all have turned away. No one does good, not even one. And then Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, I believe this. If I had asked all of you today before I just read those verses, do you consider yourself to be a good person? There would probably be some in this room that would say, absolutely, I'm a good person. I'm not Hitler. I've never killed anybody compared to my neighbors. I'm here. They're not, so I'm better than them. And we would look at ourselves and go, absolutely, I'm a good person. Some of you, even after hearing these verses, are still going, but I'm good. I'm a good person, and you, you, you are saying that. Yet the Scripture tells us no one is good, and the Scripture says we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, because it's Christmas, and because I want to give you a gift, and that gift is I want to show you how bad you really are, um, I want you to turn now to Exodus 20. So my gift to you is I want to show you today how bad you are. And this is not for God's sake. This is not even for Santa's sake. For he knows that you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness' sake. This is for your sake. I want to show you your badness for your sake. And here's what I know. If you ask the average person on the street, what do you know about the Bible? They might not be able to know a whole lot. They're going to probably know something of the Ten Commandments. They might not be able to say them. And I say that because it has been estimated that 90% of even Christians can't say all the Ten Commandments, which, shame on us. If that's true of us, shame on us. But I'm also guessing that most of us have never measured our lives against the Ten Commandments. 
Most of us have never taken the Ten Commandments, all of them, and measured our lives actually against the Ten Commandments. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to take the Ten Commandments that God has given. I just want to quickly measure our lives against all ten of them. So verse 3, commandment number 1, you shall have no other gods before me. So think about this test. Can you say, I've never put anything above God in my life? Can you say God has always been first in my thoughts, in my affections, in my actions? Can you even say I've never been more um, excited about a relationship, about a job opportunity, about a possession, or maybe even a TV program? I've never been more excited about all of those things than I have been about God and my relationship with Him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever not put God first? I'm thinking right now we're 0 for 1. So commandment number two, verse four, you shall have no carved images or no idols. This commandment is about us reshaping God according to our image or reshaping God into the God that we want or the God that um, will fulfill our lives. Think about this. Have you ever found yourself worshiping anything or giving anything ultimate worth that isn't God? We're now 0 for 2. Command number three, verse seven, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Can you say, I've held God's name always to the highest respect. I've never misrepresented the name of God. Can you say that? And then if you can say that, then think about this. Have you ever called yourself a Christian while not obeying the commands of Christ? If you've done that, then you have taken the Lord's name in vain. Therefore, again, brothers and sisters, we are now 043. Now, commandment number four, verse eight, remember the Sabbath day. And this has to do with fully giving God what belongs to him. Can you say you've consistently done that? Or remember this, the purpose of the Sabbath was to rest in God's provision for our lives. So the question is this, when life has gotten tough for you, when you have found yourself in the midst of difficult circumstances, have you always rested in and trusted in God alone? And now we're 0 for 4. Commandment number 5, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. If you think you passed this one, just pick up the phone and call your parents. Or if you can't do that, call your siblings or your relatives and you are now 0 for 5. Simple as that. And then commandment 6, verse 13, you shall not kill. And we think, finally, finally one. I've never done it. I've thought about it, but I've never done it. Praise God, I, I finally passed one. And I know that's what you're thinking. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus came along and he messed it all up for all of us because he said, if you've ever, if you've ever had hate in your heart or evil desires, in your heart for someone else, you have broken the heart of that commandment. And once again, we fail. Then commandment number seven, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. And maybe you think, not done that one, I'm good. And then again, Matthew 5, Jesus comes and he's messed that up for us too. Because he said, if you've ever looked lustfully upon anyone that is not your spouse, you have broken that commandment so think about what jesus is saying here even a lustful thought makes you guilty how is your scorecard looking commandment number eight verse 15 you shall not steal have you ever taken something that wasn't yours 
Now, some of you are thinking, no, my parents raised me right. I've never done that. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever taken credit or praise that didn't belong to you? Have you ever done that? Can you honestly say, I've always been completely truthful and fair in every dealing in my life? Commandment number nine, verse 16, you shall not lie. I'm not even going to go into that one because we're a room full of liars. And if you say you're not, then you're lying in church and that makes your lie even worse. So don't even do that. Every time you lie in church, an angel loses its wings or a puppy gets kicked out of heaven. So don't lie in church. Just don't do it. And then commandment number 10. We'll have to talk about that later on. But commandment number 10, verse 17. You shall not covet. You shall not covet. So can you say, I've never been greedy um, about something that wasn't mine. I've never been jealous about someone else's abilities or someone else's looks or their position or their possession. I've always been fully content with all that is mine. So can we say that? And here's the question. How did you do? Personally, I'm 0 for 10. I think if you're honest here today and church is a good place to be honest, you're probably also 0 for 10. So then think about it like this. If you get a zero on God's exam, do you really think God is going to look at you and declare you to be innocent? Or if you get a zero on God's exam, every time you take it, will God look at you and have to say, because he's God and because he's just, you are guilty. Listen, the bad news of this is that we are all guilty before a holy God. And because we are guilty, we are deserving of God's wrath. You know, most of you in this room would not like being um, associated with my family and especially my children. You would not like being my children because I, I try to, to preach the gospel and stand against um, their sinfulness every chance I get and try to stand against my own every chance I get. But I, every time I hear my kids say, that's not fair. I deserve this. I always go, no, 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 no. You deserve hell. I mean, I, I know that's great parenting. That's great parenting. But I always tell them, you deserve hell. You deserve hell. Everything you get that's not hell is a blessing. So anything you get other than hell. So please don't ever hear me say, um, that's not fair. Or I, don't des or I just want what I deserve. Let me be very clear today. If you truly got what you deserve, you'd be in hell. So basically this, if you really want what you deserve, then just shut your mouth and go to hell. The thing is, though, we don't want what we deserve. None of us want what we deserve. So therefore, there's got to be another way. So think about this. This is the whole picture of what we place before us, that we are guilty. This is bad news. We have broken the law of God. Now, when we hear this, we generally, we generally fight back in one of two ways. Either we go, well, God's commands aren't really fair. Like, how could God command us to be perfect? That's just not Fair. But let me say this. God's holiness or his commandments are not the problem. Our sinfulness is the problem. So that's the, the picture here. Our sinfulness is a problem. The commandments are just revealing how sick and sinful our hearts really are. The second response to the law is we go this. We, we say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And because we're, we're all bad, then God has to, has to curb this test, right? Because we're all bad, God has to curve it. He has to bring it up to where somebody passes, and I'm good as any, so therefore I have to pass. The problem is that diminishes God's holiness too. Scripture never does either of those two things. Scripture maintains from beginning to end that God demands perfection, and if left to ourselves, we have every reason to despair because God's bar is too high for us to go over it. 
We cannot reach God's bar. So the whole purpose, get this, the reason I just used Exodus 20, the whole purpose of the law was to show us that we can never perfectly satisfy God's demands. And it also shows us we need someone who can. The whole point of the law was to show us that we can't and to make us cry out to God for a Savior. Let me encourage every single one of you this morning, accept the bad news of the Christmas story, maybe for the first time. Accept the bad news of the Christmas story, that you are so bad you cannot save yourself. Accept that bad news so that the good news might become all the more comforting and merciful and glorious for you. And here's the beautiful part. God demands perfection. And that sounds terrible. But the gospel declares that God also supplies that perfection. So the bad news is devastatingly bad. Let that wash over us again today. The bad news is bad. The bad we cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against the ultimate holy God. We are deserving of God's wrath. That is bad news for all of us. And then secondly, here is the good news. And that is this. The good news is amazingly good. The good news is amazingly good. I don't know any better way to put it, but here's the sad reality. The good news is amazingly good, but we are a part of a people called the church in America that don't seem to know the gospel. We don't know the gospel. Just think, think about this. Think of if you read the headlines today. Just think about you open the paper, or like we do that anymore. You open your phone, and you look, and, and Facebook or Instagram or Twitter tells you these headlines. So what if it says this? Ben and Jerry have forgotten how to make ice cream. You know, some of us would go... What am I supposed to do every night? Or if you read the headlines, Toyota can't figure out how to make cars. I had Ford there at first, and I was like, no, that's too believable, so I've got to use Toyota instead. Or if you read hospitals um, can't figure out how to treat sick people. Or if you read Lucky Charms are no longer magical or delicious. I mean, think about that one. Or if you read the headline, um, Popeye's runs out of chicken. Sa oh, never mind. That, that one's true. <laughs> Never mind, I can't use that one. But anyway, in most of those headlines, what we would do is we would conclude that something is profoundly wrong. That something is profoundly wrong, yet it would not be unreasonable to write this headline over the church. Most professing Christians can't articulate the gospel. Most professing Christians can't articulate the gospel. The angels could. Think about this. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, or with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Jesus came to rescue us because he knew that we could never rescue ourselves. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? If I were to ask you that question, what is the gospel? And the answer is this. The gospel is the good news that the only true God, the creator of heaven and earth, has looked with grace upon hopelessly and helpless sinners like 
us and has sent his son Jesus to bear God's wrath for us on the cross and to conquer the enemy, death, sin, and the grave that we could never um, conquer in our lives so that if we will turn from our sin, if we will turn from trusting in ourselves, and if we will instead turn to Jesus Christ, trusting him as Savior and Lord, we will be reconciled to God forever. That is the good news. The gospel says that our sin was so bad that Jesus had to die to save us. Yet it also tells us that Jesus was so loving that he was willing and gladly did it. On on Wednesday night, we read Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12 says this. And and we just rejoiced together as a faith family as we read this. Where it says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? And here's what we said. The joy that was set before Jesus was the one thing that Jesus had after the cross that he didn't have before the cross. So what did Jesus have after the cross that he didn't have before the cross? And the answer is this, us. Us. The joy that was set before him, your salvation and my salvation, that through the cross he has us. We'll never understand the resurrection until we see the grave that Jesus lifted us out of. That he went into our grave because we are lawbreakers. He carried our cross that we deserved. He um, went into the tomb that you and I deserve to be in. Jesus took our penalty for sin gladly. He entered into our grave boldly and he shattered our shame and he shattered our grave when he walked out. God's response to our rebellion and our treason was to give himself for us. He is forgiveness. He is restoration. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our security. There's no salvation ever apart from him. There's no deliverance from the power and presence of sin apart from him. There's no restored relationship with God apart from him. There's no new heaven and new earth apart from him. There's no end to sickness excuse me, or suffering apart from him. There's no defense feet of death apart from Jesus. This is the good news for us. It's good news. It's great news. And there's a, a glorious truth that breaks out in our text. So turn back to Luke 2. I want you to see something. In Luke 2, there's something amazing that breaks out. Apparently, one angel can bring the news of Christ's birth, but it takes an army or a host of angels to celebrate it. So one angel brings the news to the shepherds, but then when they start rejoicing in it, all of a sudden a whole army or a host of angels has to show up. These angels, think about this, they demonstrate a reverence or an admiration that we in our fallen state struggle to display or struggle to maintain. The gospel is good news for us. It's not good news for angels, yet they're rejoicing in it as if the mercy of God was for them. I mean, they're celebrating God's mercy as if it was for them. And just think about this. These angels had seen the power of God on display in creation. So these angels had seen God create everything just through the word and power of his mouth. Yet we never read in the creation story that the angels say glory to God in the highest. These angels had seen God deliver his people Israel out of Egypt, lead them through the Red Sea, lead them faithfully even in the midst of their sinfulness for 40 years and bring them into the promised land. They had seen it all, but never in the course of that journey do we ever read about the angels proclaiming or saying glory to God in the highest. What does that mean? That means this, the cause of God's loudest praise 
The cause of God's highest praise wasn't found in God's power over creation or even his power over deliverance of his people. The cause of God's highest praise was God's gracious deliverance of sinful sinful people from their sins. That is the highest cause of praise. That God would send his son for us. And let me say this. Don't get it wrong today. Please don't think that God sent his son to deliver you from hell. Don't think that. Ultimately, yes, that's true. But God didn't ultimately send his son so that you get a get out of hell free card. God came to send. God sent his son to deliver us. Get this from sin, from sin, from sin, from the presence of sin, from the power of sin. And praise God one day from um, the overall ultimate presence of sin in our lives forever. And this is where we get to celebrate that Jesus came to earth to be our Savior. And then we recognize that the gospel that brings us salvation is not just for our information, it's for our transformation, and it's also for our proclamation. That we are called by God to share this good news. You don't believe me? Read Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So where do we start? If you're looking for a place to begin sharing the good news, let me tell you where to begin. Number one, Begin with yourself. Every day, share the gospel with yourself. Every day. We were talking yesterday in a Bible study we were a part of that oftentimes, if we're not careful, we, we view um, the Christian life like a pool. And we view the, the diving board like um, the gospel. And we say, well, the gospel is what gets us to the Christian life. So we dive off the gospel into the swimming pool, which is the Christian life. The problem is the gospel is the diving board, but the gospel is also the pool. <laughs> The gospel is every place that we go, and the gospel impacts everything that we do as children of God. So what we should do every day, preach the gospel first and foremost to yourself. Remind yourself every day of who you were without Christ, who you are with Christ, and what Christ has done for you. So remind yourself of that every day, and then guess what? If you do that, then you will begin to be reminded that there are people in your family and there are people all around you that need the same news and need the same gospel that, that you needed in order to save you. They need it as well. We, we begin by preaching it to ourselves every day and that becomes a reminder that there are people all throughout our lives who need to hear the gospel. We need to join the angels in saying there's good news of great joy for you and for you and for you. A Savior has come. His name is Christ the Lord. May we eagerly celebrate the coming of Christ um, this year by displaying and being light in the midst of darkness. I want to end today with the words of Pastor Tim Keller. And I just think these are amazing words that go right along with where we are. And he says this. The gospel is not advice about how to live a good life or find God. The gospel is the news that God is here. He has brought salvation which needs to be proclaimed the way one would tell the world about a cure for cancer or the end of war. Indeed, hear this, the gospel is the cure for our sickness and the end of our war with God. Today, if you are here and you have never let the bad news wash over you to show you your true need for the good news, I pray that today would be that day. That you would understand that you are so bad in your sin that you cannot save yourself and your only hope is what Christ has done for you. And that you would turn from trusting in yourself, you would turn from your sin, and you would turn instead to Jesus Christ and trust him now as your Savior and Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. But let me also say this. 
Today, there are Christians all throughout this room that you would say, I'm a Christian, but if I were to ask you where the gospel is a part of your life, it's a memory. The gospel is a memory of something you recited or something you did a long time ago, but it's not a present part of your life. And brothers and sisters, it has to be. It has to be. We need to get to a place again, brothers and sisters, where the gospel becomes a part of our everyday life. Because if you, do, if you don't remind yourself every day that you need Jesus, you won't remember that they need Jesus. And if the good news stops being good news to you, it won't seem like good news to them. If, if it stops being good news to us, it won't seem like good news to them. And it's good news for all. May we preach it to ourselves. May you today, maybe today, say, God, afresh and anew, bring me back to the gospel. Help me every single day to begin my life, my day, somewhere throughout the day to preach the gospel to myself, to understand that I need it and those around me need it. And then those throughout the world need it. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call the musicians forward. We're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration where whatever it is that God is telling you to do in this moment, that you would do it. If you are here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I beg you on the authority of God's word to turn to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. Come to him. He will not cast you away. He will not reject you. He will not turn his back on you. He will gladly receive you. So let's pray. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, in this moment, after looking at the bad news, which is really, really bad, it's terrible news for us that we are all failures. We've all fallen short of your glory. We're all deserving of your death or our death. We're deserving of, of your punishment, your wrath because of what we have done. Yet the good news is you have sent your son to do what we could never do. And Lord, I pray today, God, that you would help any that don't know you to turn to you today. And Lord, help all those in this room that do know you. Lord, not to see the gospel as some past experience, but to bring the gospel into our present lives. And not just into our present day lives, but into our lives tomorrow. And the next day and the next day. Lord, to rejoice in what you have done for us every day. So that we would not be so harsh to judge others who are in sin, because we'll every day be reminded who we were, where we were, and what you've done for us. And be reminded, Lord, of what you could do for them. God, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.